You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And I'm pumped today. I'm pumped because I've just finished recording the interview with this week's guest, GB star Joe Leadham. What an interview it was. I feel like it's one of the best podcast episodes that we've done so far. And I felt like I needed to record the intro right now just because it's fresh in my mind and I'm excited about it. Um, we've spoken for about an hour talking about her career so far, the things she's done, the things she hasn't done, um, how she's perceived by uh, British basketball as a whole. Um, and I just loved her honesty, uh, her candor, um, and just the whole way that she answered the questions, really. It was amazing. Um, so I'm really, really happy to be bringing it to you guys this week. Um, one of the things we spoke about was whether or not she feels underappreciated by the British basketball community. Um, and she answered honestly and said that actually, yeah, she does. And she feels that the things that she's done hasn't really been recognised um, by the UK like they should have been um, and I couldn't agree more with that and I'm partly a fault of that as well um, but yeah it kind of dawned on me as I was doing the research for the interview like I kind of you know I, and I say this in, in the recording as you'll hear but I knew that she'd had an impressive career and I knew that she was doing big things but it's not until you see it all on paper in front of you the long list of stuff you know two-time national player of the year while at Franklin Pierce University NCAA Division II all-time leading scorer ever, um, three-time conference player of the year, uh, playing in the EuroLeague, winning French titles, um, winning European titles, representing GB, Olympian. Um, I do think that you know when it's all said and done, she could go down as the greatest female British basketball player of all time. And the fact that she's in the middle of her career right now and kind of isn't being noticed um, makes me think that we all need to pay more attention and do more of an effort of following her, showing her some love and appreciating the things that she's doing. Um, so yeah, anyway, I will stop talking. Uh, have a listen, let me know what you think. Obviously, the first uh, it's the first female that we've had on the podcast, I think. Um, yeah, so uh, hopefully it will be the first of many because I do want to make sure that we speak to everyone and cover the entire spectrum. But uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Drop me an email, um, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can hit me up on all social media profiles at hoopsfix um, with feedback. would love to hear from you. And yeah, I will leave you here with my conversation with Joe Leadham. We're honoured to be here this week with GB star Joe Leadham. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, everyone. <laughs> So, uh, obviously, the GB qualifiers have just finished. Um, you know, how was it for you? Obviously, no, she didn't play in the last game. Can you talk a little bit about how the, the campaign was as a whole for the team and how you're feeling right now and um, and where were you in the last game? Um, I mean, for us, the, the campaign's a little bit difficult. The windows are really short. Um, and for people like us, we, we need more time together to 
be able to gel and go over things and um you know we had a new coach in as well so it it was completely kind of a bit chaotic for us in the beginning because you know you have a new coach you're trying to put systems in but you really have about five days until the first game to do all of that so I think like this process it didn't really favor um like a team like us but like as usual we we did our best and what we could do but um Obviously, we didn't qualify, and that's a bit disappointing. And it's the first time, I think, in three or four years that we've not qualified. So, obviously, we are disappointed with that. But I guess trying to think on the positive side of things, you know, we, we did have a tough group. Um, I think with the lower finish at the last Euro basket, um, it kind of put us in a tough group with Montenegro and Italy. Um, and obviously, Albania, but they were the lesser team. But, um, yeah, so we had a tough group from the beginning and we were able to get a massive win against Montenegro, but um, Italy were just really, really good and I think they're just a bit too far ahead of us in terms of basketball and for a team like us, I think we'd need a longer period of time to be able to beat a team like Italy. So, yeah, I think overall a little bit disappointed, but with the time and the preparation of everything we had... um, I think, you know, we give it our best shot for the most part. And then, what else? Where, where was I for the last game? Um, I am currently playing two games a week over here with Borges in EuroLeague and French League, which are really, really tough. And I have a lot of niggles going on. So um, GB decided to release me for the last game to enable me to get a little bit of rest before I came back over here and start the manic two games a week with travel here, there and everywhere again. So it was it was nice of them. And obviously the girls got a massive win and finished with a um, statement game. But um, yeah, it, it's just tough, I think, for us. You know, obviously this was the the first um, international season with the new with the new qualifying windows. Um, you know, how different has that been for you guys in terms of prep and schedule? Um, how would you compare it to to what you previously had? Well, it's really different because I mean, first things first is that you're in the middle of of your season, and so you have to you know you have to make sure. Am I insured? Am I feel like am I fully insured? Am I feeling good? Like okay, what what if you go and play in that window with your national team and you come back with an injury or you, know, you can't play with your club team? Like that was one of my big concerns was that I'm going to come back to my club team and um, be fit and healthy and like okay for the rest of the season because like this is this is it's great playing for your country but this is my job. This is where I get paid. I I have to be fit to perform here. So. That was um that was a bit of a worry for me at first, and then obviously it provides um, extra travel and um, just change of environment that um, it can be a little bit difficult. But um, I guess that's something that you just have to be um, prepared for. But um, like I was saying earlier, the the windows are just really short. You really have about five days to get the first like phase of preparation done before the first game and if you're traveling as well and playing away then it's it's even less and so you've got to think for like a team like us who we had the new coach come in last year he had literally like five days to 
put put some systems in, um, make some rules, make some philosophies, and and we had like a, a pretty much like a new team as well. Like I'd been out the mix for a couple of years, and so to be honest, I th- think it was really hard. And um, like for me, we needed we needed a lot of time. Like for the people who aren't playing like at a top level all the time, it's it's a massive step to then go and play like at your with your national team for for like five days of preparation to get yourself on that level like it's I think it's really hard to do and I think we struggled with that a little bit like making that step and gelling and being together and having systems and understanding like which players like what because you know I I haven't played with some of them girls for about two years and yeah, I, I just found it really difficult in terms of like preparation, you know, when we've had in the past this summer, we've, we've had at least a month together where, you know, every, everyone's been able to get the systems down, actually put in a bunch of systems and rules and regulations and everyone's been able to understand each other and be on the same page. And, um, yeah, you just, you just really, it was kind of like, I guess, an all-star game a little bit, like you just rock up and, put some things in and then see what you can do. So it's it's kind of difficult in, in that respect. When you're talking about the um, systems and kind of the, the different level in player, um, you know, how much do you think that plays a role in terms of the disparity between, you know, the level that you're playing at and what you're going through on a, on a regular basis compared to some other members of the squad that maybe aren't playing at a high level or haven't played at as high of a level before? Um, does that cause a lot of problems for you personally kind of going into a camp and uh, well I guess almost like you need to bring your level down yeah I mean I think what what I just try and do is I, I think like good players make make other people better around them so you, you have to try and raise people up always and you know not necessarily worrying about if you're coming down or somebody else is coming down or whatever you're like good players will ra- will raise other people's games but what I did find is that because we have such a short window and um I just think we're a bit far behind in like IQ of the game and understanding the game and um why we why you do certain things like for example um playing a pick and roll like okay um, if what is, what is the defense doing on, on the pick and roll, and how do you counter that? You know, every time you use the pick and roll as um, as the offense, you, sh- you you should always have an advantage. And you know, if I don't know if anyone really watched us, but I just always felt like we we never really executed off the pick and roll. We never we never had an advantage a lot and things like that. But that again comes into um, like practice and learning and teaching, and we, we really didn't have the time to learn and teach. And I just think um, maybe we, we don't have that in the English league all the time. That that high IQ, that level of play. So so people aren't really understanding the game in terms of that. They're just playing off instinct and things like that, which is great. But then when you come and you're playing smarter players, better teams, you have to understand why we're doing things and, okay, if they're doing this, how are we going to counter it and things like that. You know, also, like, I'm very, very fortunate where I'm playing here in Borge and I'm playing under the national team coach and, you know, every, every day we, we drill things, we go over things, you know, we, we just had our first practice this morning and, you know, the team that we're going to play on Sunday is, um, they switch a lot on pick and roll. So we did a lot of 
drills about switching and how to counter it and you know so you're not um making mistakes or you're not attacking or having the advantage when you come to the pick and roll and you know we just didn't have time to do things like that and I think in England we're I, I think we're a little bit far behind in, in terms of how to read the game and um, how to really use things like that that should be advantage. I feel like they weren't advantage for us. I mean, I use the pick and roll just for example, but, um, you know, there's things defensively as well. And But I, it, it's really hard with the short base of time. I think in England we could really benefit from doing a bunch of clinics on um, different things that are really small minor things, but they would... And really help us a lot, and yeah, we just we just really don't have the time for that. <laughs> and then how have you found uh, the new the new coach Chima? Yeah, he's he's really positive. Um, you know, he's he's instills confidence into all the girls, which is great. Um, I I think in previous, I think when I wasn't there, I think it had been a little, the boat was a little bit rocked and um, I don't know if all the girls are playing with a lot of confidence in this and that. So it's been nice to have somebody come in and instill people with confidence and, and things like that. Like just, just for example, um, in the Italian game, you know, you have Sab Wilkinson who, uh, as far as I know, she hasn't really, I think that was the first game she'd really got into. Yeah. Um, yeah, apart from the last one, Albania. But yeah, and she she came in, and I told her like she she did a really fantastic job. Like she was she was fearless. She took responsibilities. Um, she took shots. She made shots. Um, she played defense. Okay, she made a little bit of mistakes, but but everybody makes mistakes, you know. So, um, I thought she did a great job at coming in and being fearless, and I, I'm sure that's something to do with Chema and how he's you know instilling confidence in these girls and um making them believe that they can play at this level, which, you know, I think that's a really great thing. And so how would you compare Chima to uh, the previous coach, Tom there? That's a really hard question because anyone that knows me knows I'm, like, the biggest fan of Tom. I mean, I played for him in Australia. He's just... um, Tom, for me, is the best coach in the women's game. Obviously, I've not been coached by everyone in the women's game, but... um, he, he's just amazing and Tom really but Tom also had a lot more time with us he had time to develop us and um, time to teach us time for us to learn Chema doesn't really have that same opportunity so um Ch- Chema's got a really difficult like job um or had a really difficult job in what he could actually do with us but um the two the two completely different um guys like Chema's um very like talkative and interactive with the players in terms of like giving confidence and just making sure everybody feels good and everyone feels positive as I feel like Tom was just you know he just got stuff done he's like right we're, we're gonna work on this this and this today and um just he's he just kind of always had the bigger picture of where he wanted to go and what we wanted to do but it's kind of hard to compare because Chema had has a lot less time to work with us but um Obviously, Tom Murray is like the best coach I've ever had, so I'm going to be way more biased towards him, and um, I have a lot better things to say. But I had more time with him as well, and um, so yeah, that's a hard question. What is it about Tom that uh, makes you think that he's the best? Like, what is it that you like about him so much? I just like that Tom was really direct and he was really honest, and I think you need that to not waste time and, you know, so people know where they are and 
where they're at and Tom just really he, he really like reads the game and sees the game so well you could I would always like watch him in practice and we'd be going up and down up and down and he'd literally stand there for like five or ten minutes sometimes and not really say anything but if you just looked at him you could see like all the Oh, like the wheels turning in his head because he was thinking um, and kind of like dissecting everything we were doing and then he would like tell us everything that we did do or didn't do after and um, he's just so far ahead than any other coaches that I've really had. Um, his philosophies like were really good and I felt like they really worked for us. I mean, for me, I think like when we were under him in 2012, that, that is the best team we have ever had um for the women's um British game and obviously we had other players that were um really good and that have now retired but a lot I think a lot of it was down to him and his methods and how he coached and just being about right this this is how we're going to do it and this this is what we need to do and really there was like no fluff or no in between it was like right let's go for it when you look at the um British basketball program as a whole, in terms of where it, where it's come from, where it used to be, uh, and then now, like you know, what would be your assessment or evaluation of it? Um, I mean, it's really hard. I think because I think the funding affected a lot because it meant like lesser camps or. Um, shorter camps and um, things like that so I think that had like a massive effect on things but it's you know I want to be honest but I don't want to seem like I'm like damaging British basketball because I'm all for British basketball like at the same time I just I I don't know if like saying we've gone backwards is the word but um I just feel we're not where we we were and not where we... We'd gotten ourselves in 2012 to a, a pretty competitive team, like, in my point of view, you know. we You look at France and Serbia now, and those are teams in 2012 and 2013 that, okay, France, we were almost beaten, not quite there, and Serbia, we did beat. And those are teams that have... Like, they're, like, winning medals, and I just... But, you know, I feel like the funding has so much to do it do with it because you know then it's you're you're bringing less coaches and staff in you're having not not as long a period of time together to learn and work and so that's like affected us massively like in my point of view but then also you get loads of kids that have gone off to America and I think there's a lot of the youth that when okay the likes of Kim Butler and um, Nat Stafford and Julie Page and a few others like retired all the youth that should have been really coming through was overseas or in college. And so we've got like that gap of in between. So, you know, I think we've got the talent and everything to get back up to where we we need to be. But um, for me, we're just not where we need to be. And I think we need to be a bit realistic with ourselves and say, right, this is, this is where we are. This is how far off we are. How do we, how do we get there though? What would be the steps that you would like to see the program take to start moving forward and making that progress? Uh, I mean, I think as players, we've we've got a lot of learning to do um, to to really understand the game. I mean, the more people we can get 
playing like at a higher level is obviously going to be the better for us if we can get longer camps um that would be great but again it's like the funding that comes into it i you know after we finished um this this campaign i i talked to a few people and um a couple of my family members and i've just been saying like i think we would really benefit off doing some kind of clinics just for little things but how to really understand the game and um things that people people don't know and i think they can learn and pick them up really quickly but um they just don't know them but if they're taught them i think it would really help elevate their game like just that little bit more because i just think we're just a bit far behind in the in the, in the basketball department like as a whole how much communication do you have personally with whether it be British basketball um, or basketball England, like throughout the year when you're not at national team camps, do you speak to anyone? Do you hear from anyone? Yeah, and to be honest, that the um, when I was out of the program for a couple of years, um, the communication wasn't wasn't great. But um, over the last couple couple of years or so, they've, they've really stepped it up. And to be fair, Chemers done a great job at coming in and. Um, he keeps in great contact with all, all the players and he, he makes a point to do that and I know he's even visited some of the girls and um, I'm going to stay next month for a EuroLeague game and I think he's going to try to come and um, I think Chem has actually done a really great job at job at that keep making a point of keeping in contact with people because it shouldn't just be right oh we've, we've got national team in three weeks right let's um, let's see how everyone's doing kind of thing so um, Chem has done a great job at that and for me like individually I've always um, kept in really good contact with Roger Morland who, who was in, in the office not even a coach or anything but he always checked on me see how I was and, and everything so to, to be fair in the last two years they've, they've really um, upped the game in communication Is there any part of you that uh, feels and I don't mean this just from a from a, an administration standpoint but just from a I guess a sort of broader country's perspective, like just underappreciated, underrespected, undervalued in terms of the things that you've done, the things that you're doing, the level that you're playing at. Um, you know, by all accounts, I don't know what it's like in Bourges and when you go out on the street and stuff and, and what crowds are like and everything else. But um, it almost feels like, you know, I did some research for this interview obviously and I you know I've got a pretty decent idea rough idea of your career trajectory and whatever else but but going into it in depth and I, I go through all the the honors and the stats and the figures and it's just like really really impressive um is there any part of you that feels that that isn't quite recognized like it should be um do you know I I like pride myself on being like a, a pretty humble person and just always getting on with everything and um putting 100% into everything I do but I've never really been asked that question and like since you've asked it I'll answer it honestly and I do think that I am underappreciated and everything that I have achieved in basketball in the UK like hasn't really been recognised and I think you know maybe it's partly due to like my personality and how I am I'm a strong believer and like come from a family where it's like you know if you're good everybody else will talk about you you don't need to talk about yourself like for me it's it's so if you it's just cringeworthy for me if I go out and start talking about myself I'm just like not that kind of person I just rather let my game do the talking but yeah I mean I, like honestly like I I do feel under under appreciated in in basketball in Britain you know when 
sometimes, you know, I think when I've done stuff and achieved things, it's just been in the moment and it's not been normal to me, but I've been like, okay, I know how hard I've worked and that's what I was going for. And then it's okay. What's the next thing? And, you know, I have looked back at things and been with, with my dad and been like, oh my God, I I can't believe I I actually did that. Or I can't believe I've done this. And oh my God, scored that many points or, or was a part of that team when we did this. And, um, yeah, the, the list is quite like long when you do look at it, but I can't say I've really sat and looked at it, but sometimes I do go, wow, like that, that is like pretty amazing and whatever, but it's, I'm like so thankful, like in Bourges, like, you know, you walk down the street and people know who you are, you go to the supermarket, people know who you are, um, after games, we get about 3,700 at, at um, every game and wow. um, after games you get you know you have to go into VIP and this and that but you get so many people coming up to you so many people just waiting for you just to get a picture with you and um, you know it's it's normal for the French girls because you know that they're, they're all like you know France is they really love women's basketball over here but when they're doing it for me as well it just makes me feel really special and they've really embraced me as like being captain over here and you know, I've had so many people tell me, you know, like it, it was obviously going to be you. It wasn't going to be anyone else. And to have people say that and to people to feel that after someone like Celine Demerck and me being the next person, it's like it's massive. But people just don't recognize that in England. And, you know, playing EuroLeague, it, it's massive. But pe- people people don't know how big it really is. And um, I just kind of got myself to a point where I was like you know I don't think you know you have the people who know basketball and um they they know and they understand what you've done and they care and they think it's greatness and that but like as a whole like you know most people don't but I just got myself to a point where I'm like you know what the people in France and all over France not just sports have made me feel like so good and so special and like really appreciate me and what I bring as a player and how I play that you know that that's what does it for me every day, and I, I'm thankful to be here in France. And I've I've been here for about four or five years now. And there's a reason I haven't left, and it's definitely because the people and the fans and how much they really appre- appreciate me. And you know I, I'm like forever thankful for that because yeah, when when you go to Britain, it's it's a complete different story. Like it, the, you know they don't even know. I have like eighty. I have an eighteen-year-old girl on my team here. She's she's not. Um, it's her first year professional, but she's already signed a contract with Nike. Um, there's about six others, um, some of them who are in the national team, some of them who are like on the cusp have contracts with Nike or Adidas. And I'm like, okay, I'm, uh, been drafted by WNBA, uh, Euro Cup champion, played in EuroLeague for five or six years, I've won the French League how many times? Um, played um, in Olympics for GB, and you know, I still have to pay for my shoes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay it's, it's not about paying paying the money but it's you know you, you think you'd be able to get some kind of endorsement when I have like a 18 and 21 year old yeah. girls on my team who are you know they haven't really done much yet but they I mean they're definitely going to but and they're already being recognized and being given endorsements and stuff it's kind of like uh yeah do, do you have any endorsements at the moment no I have none I've never had any my entire career have you ever been approached by by any like Nike UK or Adidas UK or anyone? No, never. Yeah, it's crazy. I always. I actually, I actually did. Um, 
like a few years ago, everyone on my team here in France was getting endorsement deals. And so I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to see what I can do about it. So I think I've like tried to contact Adidas and Nike and they just told me like, oh, we can't do anything. Sorry. Yeah, that's not us. Or, you know, gave me some like, um, just waved me away kind of thing, yeah. which I was like pretty embarrassed to like do that in the first place. But then I'm like, no, I feel like I should be getting some <laughs> shoes at least. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, people people always say to me with various bits and bobs I'm doing, oh, you could just get a sponsor. Why don't you speak to Nike? Why don't you speak to Adidas? I'm like, I don't think you understand that Nike and Adidas in the UK have zero budget for bar- basketball, zero budget yeah. for basketball marketing. They put nothing into it. The only stuff that happens is if it's a one-off event, like obviously 2012, they had a bit more activity. Um, but otherwise, like, it's just not on their radar. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know how that, is ever going to change? Um, it's one of those chicken egg situations where, until they start really investing, um, yeah, the game the game is going to continue to struggle. Well, if they don't invest, the game is going to continue to struggle. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, yeah, it's hard because everyone always asks, well, like, what, what do you, how do you solve this and it's that? And I'm like, I really don't know because, like, it's. People people want to put money in stuff, but then they want to see results straight away. But like, it, it, that's not how it works. And you know, you, you have to invest, and it takes time, and you have to hope that eventually it'll pay off. But it's not something that happen overnight or in a year. Or you know, you need you need longer. Like I firmly believe that if we'd got funding back after 2012, and I know like Tom Marr, he wanted to he wanted to stay at GB, but he just didn't have. Like they didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. If we'd have had him for another four years, like I, I really believe we we could potentially have made a world championship, or we could have um, perhaps made Rio. Like we, we definitely would have been a, been in a better place. But it, it, you know, it's all it's all money and funding again, and you know, people people want to see results like straight away. But you know, they, they don't even really understand basketball and the level on, on the grand scheme of things so it's you know it's really hard and it's hard to have answers yeah and it is like there's so much of it part of it is is the education factor of just like if people don't know about basketball they're never going to be able to recognize um anything in terms of your your accomplishments your achievements or whoever's achievements um and then it does yeah it becomes that question of like well then how how do you educate them how do you feed them the information and put it in people's faces and give them reference points to be able to recognize, oh, well, if he or she is doing this, that means that this this is good or this is bad. Um, and yeah, I mean, so much of that is, like you said, it's a long-term investment. Um, I don't think that anything can change uh, overnight, but it also requires a willingness on the on the on the account of the other side to actually be willing to put in the time to learn and listen um, and move forward. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, so, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's hard. And, like, even even for one of them things, like, just for, like, media purposes or whatever, like, I, I don't want to be recognized and appreciated for me to make, you know, to make me feel good so I can I go and sleep better at night. That That's not what it's for. Like, I just really want it so people can see, oh, okay, we, we do have, like, successful people in basketball in this country, okay, maybe they're not um, lo- 
located in this country but you know we have people that can compete and okay and then on the flip side of that for younger generations you know you you have girls and young boys that can look at us and say oh I can do that. That is possible. Like, you know what I mean? Especially for me and my story, like I, I didn't get anything easy. And I, I was at division two school and went from division two and just, just kind of really like have worked my way up. And, you know, my, my parents are not in basketball. They, they don't know anybody. Like, you know, I remember I started out in England B team and, and progressively like made it up. And I think it's important for kids to hear that, hear those stories. So, so they know, like, like, you know, I, I was you like 12 years ago or however many years ago. I was, I was exactly you. You know, I, I didn't do anything special. I didn't have any special kind of parents in terms of knowing people or things like that. I just came from a very well supported family and with parents who really pushed me and urged me on to do stuff. And, you know, it, it's nothing that money buys or anything like that. And I, I just want kids to know that, you know, they can do what, what they want to do. It's, it's literally like hard work and determination and grit and not a lot else. Do you get a lot of, uh, of media interest at all from, from British outlets, uh, like mainstream people? Do you ever hear from anyone? Um, I know there's, 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 there's some local paper in Ellesmere Port, I'm sure, that always covers you, because I always see their articles. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like the only one, probably. Like the, <laughs> the local paper from my town. There's one in my town, it's called The Pioneer, and then there's one in the town over, which is a paper called The Standard or The Chester Chronicle. Yeah. And they're actually like the only ones that ever cover me or anything <laughs> I'm doing. Unbelievable. Um, so I want to, uh, this is really interesting, but I, I do want to make sure that we cover a lot of the, the sort of early year stuff. Uh, so I'd love to kind of rewind, um, kind of right back to the start. And, you know, you, you mentioned it there a little bit about kind of your background and, um, so how did you first pick up a basketball and start getting into playing? Okay. So I, um, was like an avid netball player and was playing just, netball 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 was in england town and everything and um so they had like the youth games and my older sister jen went and with her friends to try it because they couldn't do netball because they were at um too high of a level to play in this tournament and it was about getting kids involved in other sports so i went along just to watch one of her practices and they didn't have enough so i ended up joining in and then the me and my sister and the group of girls we we all played netball together and we were all kind of like enjoyed it and we were all like oh like this is a bit similar to netball and we're not that bad at it like it's fun like that's kind of like keep going and then we formed a we formed a club and it just kind of went from there but yeah when I first picked up a basketball it, it was for the youth games and how old were you at that point uh, I think I was about 12 or 13 okay and then the progression from there, like, kind of, what was the, yeah, what what happened? Like, you started playing for the club. Uh... Yeah, then we, like, we, we formed a club because um, there was a group of us that all grew up together and we played netball, like I said. So then we decided to, like, form a club and, and that's when Jimmy McGinn came in and he obviously knew basketball. And so he entered us into, maybe it was, like, a Manchester local league, I think, and we, we started off playing in that and then, and then we just got into National League and things like that. And the, the good thing about Jimmy is he, he would always enter us up. So I remember one year there was all of us who were, who were under 16s, I think. And he was like, right, now 
I'm not putting you in the under-16s. We're going to put you in the under-18s. I know you can go and win the under-16s, but, you know, that's not going to get you better. We're going to put you in the under-18s. And, you know, he would always challenge us. And, um, yeah, he, he was just re- really, really good as well, Jimmy. And that club, was that Ellesmere Port Panthers? Yeah, that was Ellesmere Port Panthers. And so what sort of um, success were you having with this club, if any? At that age, um, you know, we, we we started out. I think like we weren't weren't that good at first, and then um, we progressively got better, and then we started we started to just win everything almost every year. It felt like um, we'd have big rivals with um, Northampton at the time, and um, you know, but it, it felt like we were going back to Cosford um, every other year, and you know, the first year. I think we won it was like a big surprise and then after that and I think once we've got a little taste of success and we just started really enjoying it that was it we we wanted to win everything and then then we, we were in loads of competitions it was under 18s then we had under 16s with, with the younger ones and and we we just set the bar and we we were just like we we want to win everything and that, that's just all we tried to do you know <laughs> everything's great when you're winning and when you're young and you're winning like that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You just want to win everything. So that that just, I think, we just became more and more hungry for success. And, yeah, it kind of set the bar for the younger ones that came through, and it was awesome. And you personally, what sort of numbers were you putting up? Were you having ridiculous games? I can't even remember. You'd, you'd have to ask my dad. Um, but, yeah, I can't, I can't even remember. I remember playing the women's league when I was about 16 probably, and I think maybe I was averaging about 30 points or something Okay. when I was 16, but um, I, I really can't remember. Have you ever had like a ridiculous game of like 60, 70 or something like that? <laughs> I don't know, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, and then, so um, from the club you ended up going to high school, is that is that right? So what age was that and what year did, what class did you go into uh in high school? So I did my GCSEs and then I um, left and I went to high school and I um, started as a junior. So I did a, my junior and senior year in um, Cheshire Academy in Connecticut. And my sister Jen actually came over with me and she did a she did her A-levels and she we went over together, which I think like made it a bit easier for my parents leaving us behind. Um, and she did a postgraduate year as well. So how how did the actual move to the States come about? Like, in your head, you know, at that age, was it like, oh, you know, I know that if I want to be successful at basketball, the best basketball is in, in America, and so that's where I want to get to. I'm, and then you sent out emails to coaches, or was someone else involved orchestrating it? Like, how did it actually happen? Uh, there, there was a lady that had got involved. Her name was Joyce Jenkins. And I think she'd got in touch with my parents because we, we'd never really thought about it, um, like, going to America until someone had, like, mentioned it. And we were like, oh, uh, okay. Like, and I, I guess then my parents, like, looked into it. And this Trish Jenkins had um, looked into a bunch of schools that we could go at. And there was um, – Cheshire Academy was the only school that we could actually both go to together. So that's why we decided to go there. But it, it – to be honest, I never like grew up playing thinking that I was going to go to America. That never really kind of crossed my mind as an option until someone like mentioned it. 
and we were kind of like, oh, okay, like if you, you know, if you, if you think like we're good enough, yeah. And was was Cheshire Academy? I mean, is it known for basketball? Did it have a basketball tradition? <laughs> That's really funny. So, not really. I guess maybe after me and my sisters went there, but um, <laughs> so I just remember like once we'd. It's like, right, we're going to America, like it was happening, it was a done deal. Then it was like, for the entire of that, maybe we went over like August, but for all of that summer, my dad and my mum were like on us, like, right, you, you need to, I remember we, we used to go out running like two or two miles or three mile runs at night and just trying to get in really good shape. And my dad was just on us, like, you know, you're going to America, you need to, you need to learn how to work hard. You need to learn how to be the best if you want to be the best. And just really, like, got after us. And we, I just remember, like, being out late at night, like, doing all these runs or whatever. And then we got over to America. And we were in preseason. You had to do three sports. So we were doing volleyball. And we'd never, ever played before. But I guess, like, everyone there wasn't really that sporty. And they were like, right, we're going to do some um, skipping with jump rope. So me and my sister were like, all right. And we thought, you know, we were going to be, like, the lesser, like, athletes out of everyone because this was America. And we got there and we're, like, going, like, ham, like, doing all this skipping. And the other girls are literally just going super slow, like, one leg at a time, like, skipping. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Cheshire Academy definitely wasn't, like, a basketball school. But I think me and my two sisters kind of, like, turned it into one after our three years there. But it, it definitely wasn't a basketball school when we got there. How did you find the the transition to the American game then, was it, I mean, obviously the school might not have been the best um, internally, but the competition you were playing, did you find it a lot different to the States? Did you find it difficult? Did you find it easy? Um, to be honest, our, from what I can remember, our prep school was maybe class C or B. And so, um, I mean, I can say that the competition was, you know, I can sit here and say, right, the, the competition was easy maybe in, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, me and, Jen would sometimes go and score every... I'm not even kidding yet. We would score every single point for the whole team in in one game. So say our team won like 58-40-48. There was at least three times me and Jen scored that 58 points just between the two of us. Um, But but we... And I think our team went undefeated as well one year. I can't really remember, but we we were the kind of people, and my parents like made us the kind of people to never never settle, and you know always okay. Is it is it easy? Well, set set your goals higher, make it make it not easy, and do you know do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, maybe sometimes it was easy, but it was like okay, don't just score twelve points, score score twenty or score twenty five, and yeah. I feel like we always had that mentality, and so you know then when you're scoring that many points and teams are putting more pressure on you and giving you more attention, so then it does become harder. But I think that's that's the only way to get better. You can't settle and, you know, you can quite have to be like, oh, I scored 10 points that game. That, that's pretty good. But why score 10 when you can score maybe 30? Yeah. And so from there, at what point did you start thinking, oh, like, you know, I want to play college in America, get a scholarship, kind of go on to the next level? I mean, were you, well, I, were you already serious about it at this point? Had you already thought, I want to be a professional basketball player? No, not professional, just um, just college, definitely. Obviously, just moving to the States 
I don't know, like going to high school, the next transition was obviously to go to university and get a scholarship. So at that point, it, it was literally just, okay, I, I know I'm here to, to earn a scholarship and um, have somebody pick me up for university. And that was just really all all that I was thinking about at that point, definitely not professional, just just university. And then you didn't actually end up getting any Division One scholarship offers? No, I I don't know if everyone really knows this about me, but I actually had no, what, what was it, maybe like April, I had no, um, no offers from no one, like no one. I went and visited uh southern southern connecticut who were actually in the conference um at the time that for the school that i ended up going to and i really liked that school and wanted to go there and the coach was like no you're not good enough so i was like or like no we have too many places I was like oh okay whatever and i had like absolutely nothing then it wasn't till like late may that a school also in my conference merrimack which was division two would contact me and um, had interest in me and so I'd called my sister Jen because to ask her about this school because they were in the same conference and whatever and I just remember Jen saying to me if you are playing in the same conference as me you're you are playing on my team there is no way you are playing on any other team so I said okay so she told um, Mark Swayze who was the head coach at the time and he couldn't believe it he was like you know, um, I, I swore your sister was going D1. Like, we haven't even looked at her for that reason. You know, we thought we had no chance, blah, 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 whatever. Wow. So I, I basically went on a visit to Franklin Pierce, and I knew at that point I was going to go there because it was the only place that was going to offer me. Um, but I basically just went to see Jen for the weekend, and then um, when I was up there, I, I signed, and um, I was like, yeah, I'll come. I think the coach was really shocked because he just – did not think that I would be playing at Division Two, but um, you know, I I literally had nothing. It's not it's not a joke or an exaggeration when I say that I had no college um, offers from anybody else. What, what was, do you think that was? Uh, I think being British doesn't help. <laughs> I think being white and British doesn't really help. It's, you know, people can look at you and think think I'm talking like complete rubbish, but like when when you look at everything in the grand scheme of things, it, it doesn't really make sense. You know, you have to think, well, yeah, like what? How how can this happen? And like, you know, I I'll just be honest with you. I think being British, being white and British, being not a big player and white and British, like it just it you know it just doesn't. I guess doesn't. People, people have an idea of what they think a basketball player is, and um, I'm not sure if I fit that stereotype. And so, yeah, that that that's all that I can really like come down to. Because when I get on the court, I feel like you know, I'm not. I don't feel like uh, I, I don't know like how to say it. I feel like my game does the talking when I'm on the court, and you know, I guess if you just look at my name and look at how I look like and whatever on paper. Maybe I'm not that interested. <laughs> so, when you then went to Franklin Pierce, do you, do you think that that is the fact that you didn't have any Division One offers? Do you think that played a role in kind of having a little bit of a chip on your shoulder in terms of the things that you went on to do at college? Have you carried that with you throughout your career? Yeah, a little bit. 
I, I think it like made me the person I am though, you know, like I've, you know, I know loads of people that went to all these really big schools and even the, the girls now that are just going to like these big schools and, you know, like I, not everybody knows my story and like what I can tell people is so, okay, I went to this school after not having offers from anybody. We would, in preseason, we would work, um, so you know like NASCAR? Yeah. Where they race, we would get up at 3 a.m. on a Saturday in preseason, which which is like complete hell when you're in preseason and you're a freshman because, you know, Saturdays are the party days. <laughs> so that is just complete murder. But we would go at 3 a.m. and be there from 3 a.m. till about 4 or 5 p.m. and literally stand and be like the volunteers who park cars just so our program could have money so we could get gear, like so we could have, you know, tracksuits and hoodies and because we our, our school just didn't, doesn't have a lot of money like at all and so we were constantly doing fundraisers wow. to just, just to have matching gears and I, I don't think people know that but that, you know, that kept me humble and that, that's what keeps you humble. That's what keeps you hungry. Like I've never been given anything. It probably wasn't until I maybe came to a board or professional that, you know, you get all this gear and you don't have to do anything for it. But, um, that, that was my life for four years. And, um, you know, my, my freshman year, after my freshman year, I had a bunch of schools like mid to low D one schools that wanted me to transfer out. And I just kind of said politely, you know, um, no way, you, you know, you guys, where were all you guys last year? Um, you weren't interested last year, and now because I'm making a little bit of noise at this little tiny school, you guys think that I can play, like, at your level? And, and I was like, no way. I, I knew I could always play in this level, but, you know, nobody believed in me. And this one coach at Friends and Pierce, he didn't even think I would have a chance to even play for him because, you know, he believed in me. And I kind of said, I'm going to stay here for four years, and we're going to do something really special. And, you know, I have really great memories from college and winning championships and almost winning a national championship, and I'm not entirely sure I would have got that anywhere else. Um, what? Um, how did you? How did you find that transition to the college game? Like, I mean, from what you said, the the high school level was you and your sister running around going nuts on people. Um, <laughs> you know, how different did you find? You know, in your freshman year, how different did you find the, the college game? Um, it, it was a little bit difficult, but, um, I was very fortunate where I had, like, a coach who plays you if you're good and this and that, so I, I kind of, um, earned my spot on the team and, um, you know, people respected that and, um, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe because it was Division 2, the level wasn't as high or I don't know, but I, I felt like I transitioned, like, pretty well, but I think that's because the people around me and they trusted me and they believed in me. And, um, so I, I felt like my transition was, was pretty smooth to be honest, but you know, I had a, a good coach who, um, trusted me and believed in me, like I said before, and that, that just makes everything a lot easier. And when, when you have great teammates, it, you know, that makes everything easy and, and really is a difference. When you look back on your college career now, do you sometimes, you just like, I can't believe that I'm the Division Two all-time leading scorer. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I scored that many points, and then I'm like, oh my god, I wonder how many of them came from assists from Jen. 
And then sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I was a little bit crazy in college. I can't believe I used to do things like that. Like, I used to get so hyped for games and just would, like, do really, like, mental crazy things. And now I'm, like, quite mellow compared to it. So sometimes I think back and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But you used to do mental crazy things like what? Like, uh, I would just, like, I was, like, that player that would get hyped for everything, like, Every, I remember one one person saying to me, like, they thought I was going to give myself a heart attack when I got an M1 because I hit my chest, like, that hard. And I guess I was like, oh, every time I, like, made some kind of, like, M1 play, I would just get mad hype and, like, pound my chest, like, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm totally not like that now. <laughs> but I would just, I was, like, the hype man, too. Like, like our team, it, we, we were just super close. That We just had, like, a really good time and, you know, I'd always be like, let's go, like, just super loud and just a bit obnoxious, I think, sometimes. And I know my sister coached in the league, and they, the coaches, like, say funny stuff about me, like, oh, your sister, like, I remember she hit seven three-pointers point, on us, and she would run past our bench with her hand in the air, and I'm like, oh, my God, I would never do that now. But then I was like, well, when you're, like, 21 and a coach on the other team lets you score seven three-pointers, you're going to think you're, like hot stuff aren't you but I'm like I would never do that now that's so crazy when you uh, when you look back on your college career what would you say was the the highlight uh, probably, probably like going to the national championship that was amazing because our school is it's so small there's literally like I think there was about an enrollment of 1500 people there and the fact that we'd made it to, like, this national championship and the whole run leading up to it was, it was just, like, amazing. Like, I just remember winning regionals and we won. And I don't think, I don't, I can't remember what we were ranked, but we won. Oh, we must have been ranked number two, maybe. We beat this team up in um, Philadelphia. And it was just beating them on their home court. That's right. Holy Family, they were like 32 and 0 or something. And I just remember afterwards, it was like, you know, we made this big thing like 32 and 1, 32 and Franklin Pierce. And I just remember winning that game and taking my shirt off after the game and swinging it around my head and running down the stairs going, that's how you bloody win a game. And then the commissioner like made a massive complaint afterwards because it was a pretty religious school and I'd like took my shirt off and swung it around my head. But yeah, that was probably like one of my best memories for sure. And then if you were to flip that on his head and say lowest point at college, what would it have been? Oh God, lowest point would probably be... uh, Lowest, but I would never change it because it was a massive learning curve for me. Lowest point would probably be freshman year, like uh, maybe towards the end of the regular season. We, um, we we lost a game to the worst team in the league in double overtime. And um, after the game, I, I walked into the locker room and we had this massive like um, wooden wall. And I just full-on punched it just out of anger and then sat down in the locker room and I was like oh I think I've just broke my hand and then the coach came in did like a massive speech this and that and then I remember going to the trainer I mean like I think my hands broke so she put it in ice and she was like trying to put it back in case it was dislocated or something then they sent me to 
um, A&E and they were like, yeah, you broke your hand, you're out for the season, you need surgery. And I just felt like the biggest idiot ever. We were making playoffs for maybe the first time and um, it's like, oh yeah, your freshman leading scorer is out because she's an absolute idiot. <laughs> and what, what was the biggest takeaway from that in terms of the learning curve? It was just like, control your emotions, you idiot. Like, it's good to be mad and this and that, but control your emotions. Like, you know, you've, you've got to be better than that. But I'd never change it because I honestly think the way that I was, and I'm such like an emotional, passionate player, I think I would have broke my hand at some point in my career during college. But I was just happy. At least it was my freshman career, my freshman year, so you can be like, oh, stupid freshman. <laughs> So uh, after college, was it? It was after college that you got. You then got drafted. Was it 2010? Yeah, Yeah. Um, and you, from what I, you, you literally just received a text message going, "Oh, you, you got drafted." Yeah. So I'd gone to um, was it San Antonio? Yeah, I went to San Antonio because they had like um, that's where the final four for D one was, and um. I had been honoured with Division Two Player of the Year, um, so I'd gone to receive that, and um, I'd actually saw the coach from Connecticut when I was there. He, he, he was like coming in the hotel, and he's like, "Ah, oh, draft tomorrow. Make sure you tune in." So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay." Um, and then um, we were we would flew out that Thursday, which I think was the day of the draft, and. As we, like, landed, I just got this text message like, hey, congratulations on being drafted, um, that's awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then next minute I got a call on my phone like, hey, Joanna, this is, um, I think his name is Jeremy. This is Jeremy, the physio from the Connecticut Sun. Can you give me, like, your shoe sizes and da, 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 da. And was just, like, asking me all these questions to, like, get ready for camp. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, what's going on? I was, like, totally overwhelmed and... Yeah, it was mental. Did you did you genuinely have no expect like you did not even think that you had a shot of getting drafted? Had there been any talk in the media or anything about it? There'd been like a little bit of talk and like the the coaches had like come to a game and um, to watch, but I, I didn't really play that well. I played you know didn't really have like a good game, so I just thought you know what, there's there's no way like you know. Uh, maybe I'll get invited to a training camp or something, but I, I don't think I'm going to get drafted. Like, no way. I'm Division 2 as well. Like, no chance. So when it happened, I was, like, completely shocked and, like, just totally overwhelmed. Do you think... Do you think... Uh, is the WNBA still a goal of yours? Um, I would say no. Because what... I've, like... I think everyone like has their own experiences and this and that, but I I went to WNBA in 2013, um, and I was the final cut. And when they cut me, the you know the coach was you know she was like more upset than me, and she was like you know she told me you know I just remember exactly what she said. She's like you know I wish we could have 11 players like you. And I just sat there and kept my mouth shut. But what I really wanted to say was, well, you could have had one at least like me, you know. But yeah. I was just like, yeah. And I just kind of left that camp thinking, there's literally nothing else I could have done to make that team. I just kind of left there thinking, my face doesn't really fit. Or, you know, if, if you cut me, 
it's not going to annoy, you know, nobody's going to be annoyed about that, nobody's going to be upset about that for this little English girl who played at Division Two school up in New Hampshire, like, that's, you're not going to lose fans over that. Yeah. And and I felt like it was a, a little bit political. And then the next year, 2014, I don't really think anyone knows this. And I only told the GB girls like the other day, so we were talking about something. I told GB, right, I'm not playing GB any best money. He's about the season so long, blah, blah, blah. That year, my agent messaged me and said, look, I have a contract for you at Connecticut, it's not training camp, it's a legit contract to play with Connecticut and they want you to go, do you want to go? And I was like, I can't, like, I've told my national team I can't play because I need rest. I can't then next minute be like, oh, I've had three days off and I'm feeling great and now I'm in the WNBA. <laughs> wow, so you turned it down. Yeah, so I turned, the year after I turned it down because I was, you know, I just felt like I needed rest more than anything because the season's so brutal, like, overseas, and this is where you get your money, not in WNBA. And so, yeah, I I just decided to turn it down, and to be honest, I haven't really regretted it. And why do you think it's because you've been doing so well in Europe and you're so settled and happy um, there and obviously then you do national team every summer like is that why that kind of the WNBA has become less relevant for you or do you think you just got nothing else to prove or yeah I just think as well I, I, I have nothing else to prove I used to feel like I need to and this is like like a few years ago, I used to feel like I need to make WNBA you know if, if I if I make WNBA then you know it's massive for people in Britain maybe people in Britain will actually see that like I'm I'm a good player this and that and now I'm to the point I'm like I have nothing to prove to anyone like you know if if people don't respect me or what I've done for the game or British basketball by now then they they just don't really know basketball and for me WNBA has just become like it's it's a game for the Americans and um if 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 you're a superstar European um, then, you know, you'll get a shout, maybe. Because, you know, even, like, you have superstars like Sandrine Gruda, she, she sits, who's a superstar for France, she sits on the bench for L.A. and doesn't doesn't even play. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really, like, a, a league for Americans, I think, personally. It's a good league, but, um, you know, the money is not the best, and, um, you know, it, it takes away your summer off days, but... I think if anyone gets a chance and, and they feel good within their body and this and that, I think they should definitely try and do it. But I'm just at a stage where I'm, I'm getting a little bit older and the seasons are longer playing EuroLeague and French League is super tough. And I don't know if it, like me going and playing in the summer is the best thing for me to do when the, when the European season is so grueling. So, I mean, I, I'd never say never. Um, I don't know if I would get another shot, but um, it's not something that I'm hell-bent on doing, that's for sure. When you look into the, the future now, do you do you see us, would you like to stay in Bourges for the rest of your career, or would you like to play in other countries and experience other other teams as well? Um, I would like to experience other teams. I mean, it's going to be a tricky one for me, to be honest, um, after this year, because this Commonwealth Games next year okay. and that's um, in April and so no team in their right mind is going to release anybody to go and play in that um, and I know for sure here like Borg w- wouldn't release me but um, I-, I would like to go and play somewhere else definitely but then 
it's like a double-edged sword on the other side I'm like okay I have a nice life here I'm comfortable people really respect me here really appreciate me here you know they've made me captain which is like uh, I mean I didn't really realize how much of a massive deal it really was until everyone started um, talking about it here um, but you know I have this role here where everyone really respects me and really appreciates me for how I play and it's it's actually nice to play in Borge because we we actually play team basketball or like try to so it's like as long as we win it doesn't really matter and I know that at other teams it can be like okay if if you don't score 16 points as a foreigner you know maybe your head's on the chopping block or whatever but it's it's really not like that here and um you know we're just all about winning all about a team and I I've loved playing with the girls and um, with Valerie, you know, it's just a really nice setup here. And so I don't know if it's worth, like, giving that up for, you know, a few extra, you know, m- money's not the be-all and end-all. If, if it was, I would have left Borge two years ago and to go play in Turkey, but I decided to stay. So, yeah, I, I don't know where I'll be, but um, we'll know at the end of the season, I think. So you mentioned the Commonwealth Games there. Is that, are you placing that as a priority in terms of you, you do definitely want to play in it? Yes and no because um, I think it's 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 we we have a chance to medal which could be huge for funding. Um, it's it's the next closest thing to an Olympics. I don't think I'm going to get to do any, anything close to that ever again. And it's going to be an amazing experience, I think. But then on the flip side of that, it's like okay, if if you sign, if you have a really good deal how can you give that up just to go and play playing Commonwealth Games? Because, you know, I'm what am I going to do? Go and play in w, WBBL for a year? Like, mm. no way. This, I just can't do that. I think, like, you know, it's just not possible. So you have to think of, like, both sides. And I'm coming to the end. You know, I'm not at the end of my career yet, but I'm definitely, like, more towards the end than the beginning and I have to start thinking about like making money and saving and mm-hmm. doing what I can while I can so I don't know I've got a pretty hard decision to make to be honest and then uh, I'm aware of time but we'll kind of start wrapping up but looking into the future um, what do you see yourself doing after basketball um honestly I have no idea like at first, I was like, right, I, I want to coach college basketball, blah, 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 blah. But now I'm like, no, that's so full on. I'll be literally be, have the same life I have now with traveling, but like as a coach and not a player. And now I'm kind of like wanting to stay in Europe and maybe be involved in basketball, but not necessarily as a coach. I mean, if we had like more money in basketball in Britain, I really and I did say this to our coach, Chema, I think I just feel like I have so much to give back from what I've learned and the people I've been around, especially here in France. Like, I would just really love to help the game grow in England and just I feel like I have so much to give back, but, we, you know, I can't really do that for free. Like, <laughs> I still have to work. Like, so, yeah, I don't know, like, what I'm going to do, but then... I'm like, oh, maybe it would maybe kind of be cool to do something completely different and just go and work retail in Marks and Spencers. <laughs> something super random, I don't know. Have you thought about um, holding any type of summer camp here for kids or anything like that? I mean, I have, but 
it's like my life's just a, not a mess. But you know, I have like my fiance who lives in America, and so we, and he works, so we don't get to see each other like all year round. Mm. Um, so in the summer, that is like my time when I go and spend that like with him. But I would love to do a summer camp, but it's just can I fit it in and you know, do I have time for that? But yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely, now I'm more on the lines of thinking about how can I help basketball in Britain? Like what, what can we do to get the ball rolling to, I I just feel like I should be giving back. Do you get um, young British female players reaching out to you at all? Not really. Really? I met like a, a couple um, when I was at home. Julie Page works at Myers Cohen, so she'd introduced me to a couple of players there. Um, you know, I've, I've spoke a bit with um, Savannah and Kyla Nelson, but I don't know if it's like um, I don't. They they don't really know what I've done and achieved, and and or is it? Um, they're just intimidated and think I'm an absolute nutter and they're a bit afraid to speak to me. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's sad because, like, here in France, we have two young girls that, you know, I I learn from them every day and, and they get to learn from me every day and, and it's it's really nice. Like, here I'm, I'm you know, we, we have, like, some 23-year-olds too and I feel like I'm, I'm constantly, like, helping them and I, I'm learning from them as well every day, but... I feel like here I, I'm giving back more than I am like in in British basketball. I'm giving more back to France basketball than I am in British basketball, and that's you know that's a bit backwards, really. But yeah. you know, it's one for the future. Um, yeah. All right, this is awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, it's been yeah really really interesting, and I would love at some point in the future to do a part two because. There's a load of stuff that we didn't get into. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, hopefully do it again sometime soon. Yeah, I'm definitely down for part two. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely awesome to have someone interested and ask you all these questions. So thank you very much for having me and I hope everyone enjoys it. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.